0: Hey, listeners, welcome to The Intelligent Conversations, where we believe that everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. We invite guests from various backgrounds to share with you what makes them unique. Our hope is that you and I can learn and grow together. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to speak with Jay Williams. Jay is an author, speaker, thinker, executive, and communication coach. Jay also helps leaders from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies achieve their desired outcomes through his leadership philosophy and methodology. He is focused on introducing and stimulating new, different, and deeper thinking and skills people need to maximize collaboration and productivity. So Jay, thank you for coming on. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for taking the time to come on today. But uh, I usually like to lead into this question at the start, and that's, What kind of got you started? What kind of got you into what you are today? What was the starting point? What led you to what you are today?
1: Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, I'll start with something you and I have in common is that when I was 14, I lived in an apartment complex and my next door neighbor, uh, he and I were friends. His dad was an entrepreneur. I think he owned a gas station. He said, I can get you guys started in your own business. And so he bought us a pail, uh, uh, vinegar and newspaper and a squeegee. And he said, you guys should start your own window business. So at 14 was really the first time probably an entrepreneurial type of uh, uh, connection came along for me. And so uh, we made a lot of money. We made a lot of really good money. And, and one of the things I think I realized is that, one, I love interacting with people. And two, uh, there's a correlation uh, between how hard you work and how much money you can make. And I learned at the same time that working smarter and working harder, they're not mutually exclusive. You need to do both. So jump ahead, um, you know, deeper into my career. What got me really to this point is I had roles in leadership. and. I liked what I was doing, but at the same time, there's something I didn't like. I don't know if anybody's listening or if you're new in your career, you could potentially get to this point where you're really successful at what you're doing. You're not enjoying it. And all of a sudden, the success is just not enough for you. And as I looked at what I was doing, um, at that point, um, as vice president of a company, I liked talking about leadership and I liked coaching and developing people. I just didn't wanna manage people and be responsible for their success or their success to determine my success. So to answer your question, that's really what set me down this path is I had this clarity that I love leadership. I love communication. I love talking about it and teaching people and mentoring people. I just don't wanna manage. And so in my career, I've experienced a lot of leaders that couldn't articulate that, but were feeling the same thing. So that's a long-winded response of how I got to this point. It's how you respond really to imperfection you'll see in business and how you respond to adversity that really defines who you are. Because in theory, when everything's going well, then everybody should be in a great mood, right? But the real character it's when things don't go as planned. So this is all good. This is all good.
0: Yeah, thank you. I, I got bits and pieces of that uh your journey there. And could you kind of uh recap that so then I could uh
1: Yeah, do yeah. That? The, the point there came to a point in my career, if anybody was listening, the lesson I learned that I would share with others is that there may be some confusion for you in life when you're really succeeding at something yet you're not happy or you're not fulfilled in it. And that's really what started this trajectory for me and the work that I do, is I was very successful in the role I had as an executive. However, I wasn't happy and fulfilled. And as I looked at it, the piece I enjoyed was the leadership, the teaching, the coaching and developing of people. The piece that I didn't derive the same level of satisfaction was managing people, being held accountable for their results. And so that clarity, that focus gave me the direction and the focus I needed to be where I'm at today.
0: That's awesome. I I got that. And uh, I think that's something that, again, I, I like that you kind of took that approach to teach others because there's a lot of kids, especially my age, and they're kind of going out and they're exploring testing new things some of them are going the entrepreneurial route some are going the college route some are going trades like there's just so many options today that what we can pursue and one thing i found is having those like mentors those teachers to kind of help guide you along the way is something important because that helps bring the next generation so they can have success as well and then it just continues down that line and i kind of want to get into the mindset of that though what do you think? It's, it's like you take that approach off yourself. And it's like when you start focusing on others, that's when you start almost getting fulfillment in life. I've, I've found that when you serve others, whether that's through charity work, helping develop leaders, I think that's something that a lot of people benefit from. So I want to do this. It's service. What's your thoughts on should everyone like try and take that approach off themselves? Because I mean, that's something we hear all the time. It's focus on yourself, improve yourself, but Maybe is the answer look to help others first and then look at improving yourself and you'll be improved as you serve others. I kind of want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Uh, I'm smiling because I'm reading this book right now. And so it's Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And they've hired a writer to record their conversation. And they got together. The book's called Joy and Happiness. And Are joy and adversity mutually exclusive? And what they're sharing is that you can have joy with adversity. And what you just articulated is what they talk about in the book, is that you can find joy in adversity when you consider going outside of yourself and thinking from someone else's perspective. And so the Dalai Lama tells a story that he had, I believe his appendix first. And so he's in India, he's in a remote location. They're gonna get him to the hospital. It takes about three hours. Well, along the way, he sees homeless people and he sees people without limbs. And he felt this joy in the moment and gratitude that at least he was on the way to get help. And unfortunately for these people, their situation may not change, but to your point, he gained this clarity and perspective when he began to look through someone else's perspective. And I think in life, there's some of us who, you probably met people that they'll have a struggle, whether it's financially, relationship-wise, and they'll go, yeah, or they're sick, right? And they go, yeah, but someone else has it a lot worse. And to your point, how they navigate through that is not through their perspective, through someone else's that they have it worse. And so I think when you are leading people, one of the imperative skills, because I think you can learn this, and some people believe it's an attribute, is empathy. Empathy comes from viewing the situation from someone else's perspective. So I think you're spot on. It's incredibly wise at this point in your career that you even develop that filter. Now, as a joke, I have a conversation with my son but he said, well, how do you feel when you help others? I said, I feel great. He goes, "Okay, so you're doing it for you. But there's this back and forth with the reason we help others that they just feel better. So it is selfish. At the end of the day, I think you can check both boxes.
0: I agree. It's I think empathy is important. Right. And I think that's something everyone needs to develop over time. Right. For other people. And I've actually had family members close to me that struggle with some of those illnesses. Right. And the thing that I found that got them through that was actually taking the focus off themselves and how miserable they were and how much it sucked because when they started serving others or saying, Hey, you know, that person they're meant for that challenge. Right. They can, I don't know how they do it. Cause there's no way like I could handle depression. Right. Like there's no way I could do that. Or you like some, there's no way I could do cancer. But, and then you start looking, you're like, but I can handle this type of thing. Like, I'm actually getting through this. Is it hard? Yes. But something I remember someone telling me was nothing worthwhile comes from anything that's easy. And something that we kind of see, especially in this day and age, a lot of kids my age and they say, they see like these people that are 21, right? They're on TikTok, Instagram, whatever social media platform. And they're just hyper, like they're successful type of thing. They're making six figures. You're like, what the crap? Like, these guys are insane. Like, how are they doing that? And you kind of feel bad about yourself. Like, man, I wish I could do that. And I want to get your thoughts on like success, patience. Like, how much of a role does that play? And how can you kind of combat those feelings of like comparing yourself to other people so then you can actually have success and the patience to be successful? I kind of want to. Get your thoughts on that.
1: A couple of thoughts. I, I want to go back because I think foundationally there is a methodology that I use in working with people, and you articulate as I, I think I can handle this. I think I can't. The statement is I think. And for those of you who are watching, and some of you may be familiar with this, but it's the model's cognitive behavioral based therapy. And basically, the way that it works is what drives performance is behavior. So if you want to be a better salesperson, then you would have someone come in and do training on sales, right? That makes sense to you. What drives behavior is emotions. And what drives emotions is thinking. And so for you to Be able to heavily influence your success and feel as though you have a level of control in what happens. You have to understand that what drives performance is ultimately your thinking. And so in the case you talked about, I think I can handle this. Science has validated that when people are sick, when they have a belief that they'll get better, they have seen these dramatic results. They've also seen people think themselves into illness. And so when you talk about you having more than you can handle, uh, I'm a faith-based guy. I'm not looking to convert anybody on this. I'm just sharing with you my thinking. And my thinking is is the person that I believe in doesn't give me more than I can handle. So that thinking when things happen, I think, oh, I can handle this. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but that I believe I can do it. The flip side of this is I have more than I can handle. I can't handle this. And so your thinking drives an emotion, maybe anxiety and apprehension, right? And the behavior is, I'm not going to even try this. And you don't get the performance you want. For me, and listen, this isn't 100% of the time if you're listening, but we're in a perfect moment here. You and I are chatting. I don't have any adversity at the moment. I do check my thinking. And when something comes, adversity comes as my way. By the way, what you said, and I'll misquote it, about adversity being a necessary part, nothing good comes from something easy. I believe that when something comes too easy now, I'm like, wait a second, there's gotta be a catch there. So for those of you who are in sales that are listening, if you go to sell someone something, they go, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's usually a sign. Wait, wait a second, their credit card's not gonna go through, they're gonna regret it in 30 days. But you have found what you talked about is that adversity can lead work ethic and the goals that you want. So I believe in that. I just wanted to articulate that and not miss that point in that if something's not working, you need to go back to your thinking first. And I work with everyone. That's where we start. If you want to prove, prove your performance, let's start with your thinking, not a behavior. So the, the, other point you asked me to speak to is about this patience, right? And so my boys are one will be 31, the other's 26. So if this is your listening audience, it's something that I live, not only professionally, but personally. And, you know, I hear that, hey, I've been there a year, I, I want a promotion or I want to be making six figures. And I'm thinking for myself, oh my gosh, I had to work four or five years. There is a belief in a methodology that it takes you almost 10 years to get to a point that would warrant you moving to the next level. Five years of studying, five years of being mentored, and then you're ready. There's a common belief and methodology that's out there. So you can imagine for this generation, they they don't wanna wait 10 minutes, 10 months, let alone 10 years. Impatience can work for you. So I don't want you to abandon that if you're listening. I'm t- I'm not telling you to stop being impatient and be patient. I would just look at when does impatience work for you, this sense of urgency where somebody be drawn to that initiative, and then ask yourself, when is my impatience working against me? So I'll leave it at that. We could go much deeper. But if you're listening, just ask yourself those two questions.
0: I think that's... You hit it right on the mark there too, especially uh, with the patients, you say how it can work for you or against you. I believe that any feeling that you ever have is you, you ultimately decide if it's going to work for you or against you, right? It's okay to be like angry, right? It can fuel you. And like, really, again, like that sense of urgency to like push forward and say, no, I'm going to show these guys like what's up type of thing. But also it can hurt relationships. It can really damage a lot of things around you. So you need to control that anger. Right. And uh, same thing with patience that you touched on there, it can work for you or it can work against you. And I, I like to uh, kind of uh, my belief system, I think the universe or whatever is just balanced. It's just perfectly balanced type of thing. Right. And when you get too much of one thing, right. It, eventually there's, there's pros and cons to everything. So when you become patient, maybe You have to give up, you have to give up something, right? You have to give maybe a little time, right? But then you're more patient and you can get more worthwhile things, right? And you get to decide whether or not what choices you, what, what choices you make will decide what you get type of thing. And I I think for people that are complaining, oh, I don't have this, or I don't have that. I'm like, honestly, you need to ask yourself, am I putting myself in that position or what choices have I made that led to that point type of thing? I think choices are critical (laughs) if I'm I'm being completely honest, but uh, you hit it right on the mark there. I think that's a really important question for kids today to ask themselves. And I I actually kind of want to get deeper into this if that's all right with you. So yeah, I want to, I want to hear your thoughts and kind of how can we go deeper with this? I, I mean, I, this is new territory for me. So I want to, I learn just as much as my audience. So,
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about the choices. Understanding, first of all, is your thinking that you have choices because some people believe life is happening to them, right? Mm-hmm. Why has this always happened to me? Like you've heard that phrase and where things change for me. And let me just share with you guys is that. The person you hear today is not the person I've always been. It's been this evolution of a person. So have patience with yourself. That's the time I would say that impatience can work against you because you miss the life lessons and you miss when should I persevere and when should I pivot. So when you make a choice, once you check one box, you want check another. You've got to realize that. So if we go for Mexican food and you go, I'm going to have chicken enchiladas, you're not getting beef, right? Mm-hmm. Unless he orders a combo, Josh, in which case you get both. <laughs> but I have two sons and one's gone the entrepreneurial route. So when he checked that box, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be able to do what I want, when I want and how I want it. He unchecked the box that gave him 401k. They gave him predictability. They gave somewhat collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. For my other son, when he checked that box that he wanted predictability, somewhat security, he wanted 401k, he wanted career path. And he unchecked the box of some of the things that an entrepreneur gives you. Very rarely can we check both boxes. Very rarely is it C, all the above, right? Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I just think if you want to go deeper with this to realize that, one, I do have a choice, first of all, to shift that thinking. Now, the choice I make when I check this box, which box am I unchecking? And that's what comes with choice. Now, there are other countries in the world where choice is not offered. They will Mm -hmm. tell you what you're going to do for a career. They will tell you who you're going to marry. They will tell you the maximum amount of money you'll make where you live. We function already that way. There is a downside to not having choice. There is a downside to having choice.
0: Yes. So let me pause there. There you go. That's, again, I think it's that balancing act, right? Like there's downsides to having all these choices that you can make. And right there's also downsides to not having choices presented in front of you. but. I I like that thinking. It's so this is actually kind of something I was thinking when you were talking and right. A lot of kids, they kind of maybe feel like they don't have a choice type of thing, right? Especially you were touching on with your sons that some one chose the entrepreneur route, one chose to go more the uh, secure way type of thing. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on this because this seems to be a hot topic I've seen right now. And that's what's your thoughts on college, right? Like, I feel like that's kind of been pushed so far forward. Uh, I just want to get your personal thoughts on this, but then also like, again, I want to touch on this before, you know, we get your thoughts, but again, right. Uh, Jay mentioned this, it's a great way if you use it, right. I think that this is a little bit my personal touch to it. If you use it, right. It can be a great way to kind of like if you're studying finance, you can be an accountant and those guys make pretty good money. I will not <laughs> dispute yeah. that at all. But then there's other degrees maybe you pursue that don't re- the return on investment's not as good, but I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. What's your thoughts on college
1: two real life examples. So I told you I have two boys and let me give you a life lesson. Let me just separate them. Okay. okay. This is the older guy sharing. The only thing, and I tell people in business now, so there will be a life in the business lesson is that the only way this will work, whatever we're doing is if you care more than I do, if you've ever been in a relationship business or, you know, um, even dating or whatever the case may be, where you care more than the other person about something, I, I think you've experienced that doesn't work well. Yes. <laughs> so when I work with a client, I tell them what I do works when it, Works is when the client cares more than I do about the results. When it doesn't, is when I care more than you. With my son, I cared more about him, the older one, going to college than he cared about. And repeatedly, he gave us every sign from failing classes, not going to school, getting high all the time, you know, when we went to visit him at college, to the point that literally the college would no longer take our money. <laughs> it's great point average is not even registering. We're not that we're done here. I cared more than he did about it. Now, the reason I cared, that you guys ask, is that I left home. I grew up in Los Angeles. I left home. My mom was married four times. She wasn't married to my dad. I left home at 16. And um, I, I got into sales. And I only share this with you guys because you might be able to relate, but you get into a profession. And I did well, but what I thought all in my my thinking was, I'm doing sales because I didn't go to college, and if you know people go to college or people who can do things and people who don't go to college just sell things, right? That was my mm-hmm. thinking in my head. So I spent my whole career getting you know out of sales. Ironically, I do sales training now, so <laughs> we can get to that. But that was my thinking, and so I wanted my son to have a college degree, not for him, but for me and you talk about how do you find joy. I was finding no joy in the fact that I wanted him to go to college, he didn't want to go. But what if I viewed this from his perspective? Like, just that blows your mind right there. Yeah. Any parent. And my son said, Dad, that's not how I learn. I, I was trying to share with you guys, I'm not going to sit in the classroom, but put me on to something and let me like hands on learn. And he happens to be in um, natural, organic space. Do you, I don't know how far down the path you want me to go, but for the listeners, <laughs> things that are homegrown, he's very
0: okay, I know you know, what you're... <laughs>
1: intrigued by. And so now it's become a legal industry. He does it for the medicinal purposes. So any of the shakes or the supplements or the edibles have that component and he loves it. He's really enjoying it. So if you're listening, do you have to go to college? What I want you to take is you have to determine what's best for you. I have another son. I learned my lesson, by the way. And for him, he wanted to go to college way more, which was awesome, than I did. And he finished, and now he has a career path. So for your listening audience, how important is it? I just have to ask you, how important is it to you? There will be a direct correlation. So that's one. What's the upside to college? One is that you commit to something for four years. So listen, some people can't commit to a car, a relationship, a job. That's the upside. Um, You're in an environment to learn and to grow. That's the upside to it. The upside is, is you can meet some really cool people that become lifelong Friends. It's a choice that you make. Along with that choice could come 100, 130, 140, 150,000. Remember when I said you check one box, you uncheck another, right? So, what's important to you? Is it to be debt free? Is it to have some of these experiences? So, I've met people who said the experiences are more important to me and I'm willing to go into debt for that. For my older son, he has friends that are $130,000 in debt at 30 and he said what's important to me dad is I'm not debt and debt it gives me some freedom some flexibility and I'm willing to work harder in other areas and put myself in areas where I can form friendships where I can learn and grow from other people
0: So, and I like how you pointed out the business side as well like I think oftentimes we get so focused on like how's again right how's this going to benefit me but then I like that you gave the personal as well I think that's Something we need to look at. And I, I actually will share this as well. Uh, my friend, I, I know I joked about, made the accountant joke there, but he actually wants to be an accountant, one of my best friends. And he's going to school. He's doing that. I don't know about you, but like sitting at it and giving reports. And that just doesn't seem like something I would want, type of thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I want to go and kind of similar to your son, I want to be hands on. I want to actually go out and do something, produce something to the world. I want to actually make something happen type of thing. And the thing is, I think we're both going to equally be as successful. (laughs) Like there's nothing wrong with the route he took, but this is kind of what I want to ask. And it's why, why do you think like, it was kind of pushed so hard Is like college in general, why do you think it was pushed? And I don't know. I think some people are kind of shamed out of it, shamed into it type of thing too. What, what's kind of the reasoning? Why do you think that is kind of the culture we're in right now?
1: I want to share thinking with you guys. Let me just say anything I say, I'm not trying to convince you. That's not my goal here today. And I don't think it is of your podcast. It's a show alternative thinking. So please, as you hear this, realize this is just my thinking is that we, in the uh, 1892 or three, was when the IQ test was developed. So for anybody listening, right, you've heard that. What's your IQ? And then, ah, this person has a high IQ. It stands for your intellectual quotient. It's really your ability to problem solve. It's not a knowledge base. And sometimes they are used interchangeably. The idea when they developed it was to help slow learners. All right, so you're tracking. The thinking is, we're going to help slow learners. Very quickly, what do you think happened? They started to focus on the high IQ people. And from a societal standpoint, we began to believe and think that somehow the higher your IQ was or the higher the number, somehow that was gonna be an indicator a predictor of your success. And so to answer your question, this is the way I interpret it is that now they thought, well, let's get people into a school, right? Where they can raise their IQ, they're going to be more um, successful people. We'll have these indicators and predictors of what makes people successful in their role. And so we operated under this premise probably for long before, but that's when the IQ assessment came into play. In 1982, Michael Goldman wrote a book. He's a psychologist called Emotional Intelligence. And for those of you who are listening, I don't know if you've heard the term or not, but here's what it is. Emotional intelligence is simply your ability to identify and understand an emotion in yourself and then adjust your behavior accordingly. So in the early 1982, he writes an article for the New York Times about this. So there have been some research and study done, and the last 10 years, it's gained this tremendous momentum. EQ. So if you're listening at this point, EQ, uh, your emotional quotient, but they call it emotional intelligence, same thing. And what's come out of the studies? They did a study where they brought people in to determine what makes people successful, and they brought in people with the highest IQ. Because what was their thinking? These are the most successful people. They abandoned the study because they quickly realized there was no correlation. They reverse engineered the study and said, well, why don't we bring in successful people? And that's where they discovered this new intelligence. And so what came out of it was that 70% of the time, the person with the higher emotional intelligence, the ability to identify and understand emotion in themselves and others and just their behavior accordingly, outperformed their counterparts with the higher IQ. They even got to the point that they found that people with a higher emotional intelligence on average earn $29,000 more a year than their counterparts. They linked the number in your emotional intelligence that each increase in a point equated to an average increase of $1,300 a year in your compensation. So there's a compelling business case for this career wise and a compelling human case. So let me pause because this could be a conversation all to itself. What I want to share with you is, is college necessary? I think the skill of the future is this emotional intelligence. The great news about it is IQ has been tested over and over again. It's the same from 15 to 50. It does not change. Your emotional intelligence, the very thing that can determine your success, can grow and grow and grow and grow. And so if you said, Jay, just give me an answer, do you have to go to college to be successful? The answer would be no. If you just, I was gonna use the analogy, I don't wanna use that one in light of what's going on from a societal standpoint, but if you pointed your finger at me and said, give me an answer, I need a yes, no, not conditional, that would be my response. I have seen in the studies validated that people with a high emotional intelligence have had this overwhelming success. I do think you need knowledge. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know that you have to go to a formalized institution to garnish it. So I'll pause there.
0: I agree. I think that's, a, in my opinion, a more optimistic view too, right? Like, I mean, with IQ, it's just like, you said it doesn't really change throughout your entire life. And it's like, Oh, well, I'm screwed. I guess I'm just born stupid or I'm born smart type of thing. Right. But with EQ, it's more like, no, I can actually like work. Like again, that kind of like that dream, like I can work towards this, I can work and improve this. So then I can improve my position and make more and be more successful type of thing. And again, I think you, you hit it right there on the I would say that I, I agree. I think college, right. It's, it's pushed, right. We've, we've gone into that and give me a no conditions. Yes or no. It would be a no type of thing. Right. But again, the knowledge part of things, I think that's, that's where I think maybe they have that one up and why it's been pushed because you do actually obtain quite a bit of knowledge, but something I've noticed kind of just off to the side and is that we already live in a world where we can access any type of information that we want right like literally we can type into google if we want and access this information and i remember i was speaking with someone and they said we have all the information we could ever want it's just actually doing something with it and i think that's where eq comes into play right it's it's like that's that's literally it right we just need to actually do something with all this information that we have and again i think that plays in perfectly with the what you were talking about with eq but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of look to wrap things up and thank you for bearing with me today but i'm gonna ask the intelligent question of the day and that is we've been talking about this emotional intelligence but i think the most important part right is putting action to it how do you develop emotional intelligence what do you think is the best way someone can develop emotional intelligence
1: I have two things I'd like to say. So I will start by answering your question. I want to answer concise. Let me answer your question. There's a book that's called emotional intelligence 2.0. I would highly recommend it. It's on my bookshelf. It's one of my six go to books. So if you're listening, emotional intelligence 2.0, it's written by people who have emotional intelligence, some of the chapters are a half a page. But that's emotional intelligence, identifying and understanding people don't like to read, right? And then adjusting your paper, your uh, conversation so they wrote shorter chapters. So if you're listening, that's the answer emotional intelligence 2.0. So, all right, I want to answer that. Here's what I want to share with you emotional intelligence starts, let me just help you with where it starts, it's about self awareness. And I would ask yourself, how self-aware are you? How self-aware are you about your emotions and your feelings and the impact they have on others? So just as a very simplistic example, have you ever re- uh, ran into someone that goes, I'm just having a bad day. I- I'm in a bad mood. It's a very simplistic example, but I think we can all relate to it. That person might be able to identify their emotion. The next step is to understand it. And they may say, hey, I'm in a bad mood because I got stuck in traffic, or I'm in a bad mood because I got in a fight with my spouse. I'm in a bad mood because I hate my job. So now they've identified it and they've understood it. It's what you just said about putting into action. The third, you're two thirds of the way. By the way, if you're listening and you're going, that's me, that's me, that's me. You're two thirds of the way there. The next step is adjusting your behavior. And some people go, listen, I'm in a bad mood. They go, dude, give me a bro hug. Let's hug this out and let me get out there. I'm going to be the best server I can be today. I'm going to change someone's day. You know what? I realize someone else has it worse than me, right? I need to get an espresso. whatever it is. They can identify, understand, and adjust their behavior. Do you see how that person can be successful whether they're a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, a policeman, a pastor, a student, how this can work for you? being self-aware that's where i want to leave you guys today and if you're not sure just ask a friend how self-aware listen for you guys listening i'm sure you're hanging out with some of your friends and they do stuff when you're out and other people are reacting in a way and you're like dude do you not see how she responded to you do you (laughs) not see how they haven't you been around people that would be an example of someone who's not self-aware So self-aware of yourself, self-aware of other people. Are people yawning when you're talking? Are they looking away? Are they rolling their eyes? So it starts with being self-aware. The next step is being self-regulated. So now that you realize how you're feeling or how they're reacting, do you adjust your behavior? The third piece of it is being socially aware. So going beyond yourself to see what's going on around you, right? (laughs) And then the fourth thing is relationship management is that now how do I interact with those people? This part starts with you being self-aware just to bring our conversation full circle. It operates from the other person's perspective as well and factoring that in how you interact in life. So I want to leave you with this you you said about there's a lot of knowledge out there and so in my second book i I start out that way is that you're going to read this it's going to sound like common sense when i was writing it i thought this is common sense that's not the filter i want you to use and for those of you listening when you hear things it's not i've heard that before the question is that's a common sense is it common practice And the work I do is to give clarity and focus so that you can bridge the gap between knowing and doing. So let me pause there. I hope that in comedy, they call it the callback. I don't know if I did that well enough, but. No, that was,
0: that was good. I was actually going to try and bring it full circle as well. I was thinking, Hey, this is right on the mark of what he was talking about, taking the focus off yourself and serving others. I think that's, that's a kind of the thing that was developing here, but thank you, Jay, for coming on today. I've really enjoyed learning from you. Like I, I say this to my audience all the time, just as much from you as I do. I think my audience does. Sometimes I think I learn more sometimes, but uh, I, I I have to say it was a pleasure having you on and I appreciate you uh, taking the time and bearing with all the Technology glitches. I hope this all pieces together nicely, but uh, I just kind of want to get this last part. Though you've mentioned you've had uh, your own book, you have. I know you have like a website that people can go to. What's the best way they can get a hold of you? What's the best way you want people to reach out to you? Where do you want people to find you?
1: I'm not a salesperson, so I have nothing to sell you. Here's what I would tell you: is I love conversation. I mean, what we did today is. Um, So I got to a certain age and someone said, ah, you know, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want? Like in life? I said, all I look for is a great meal and a great conversation. So we didn't have a meal today, Josh, but I love the conversation. And I just want to share with you, I'm grateful to you because for people like myself, if you go back 10 years ago, you know, you guys obviously were a lot younger. If you wrote a book and you're doing work, you had no mechanism to get your message out besides hiring a PR person or running an ad. So I'm grateful to people like you that give just give me an audience to talk about something that I just love doing and, and I'm passionate about. So I want to thank you for that. If anybody's listening, I I want to have conversations and like you, I learn from everyone. And even the questions you asked really help me to understand to learn what's on people's mind at this point and What are the things they're struggling with. So if you want to reach out and connect in any way, the website is so Williams, C-O.com. So jaywilliamsco.com. If you go to the contact page, you can actually click on there and you can schedule 15 minutes to chat. And for me, doesn't matter where you are in life. I believe that everybody I can learn from. So if you have a comment, you can do that. If you want to go to Instagram, because I realize there's an audience there, and LinkedIn, it's Jay Williams Co. There, one of the things that I do, and you can check out, we have a series now, is people can write in questions, and I record the responses. So there's over forty of them now. But you can either go to the YouTube page. Everything's Jay Williams Co. Again, it's not to sell you. It's just there may be something that resonates with you and and um, I don't know, it's just thinking that that helps you through. But for you guys, uh, my gift won't be knowledge. You can Google anything, like you said, if I have a gift, it's just new or different or deeper thinking, because I think it's the thinking that's gonna open up the possibilities for your life. I will that's, stop there.
0: That's no, that's awesome, thank you for coming on. And thank you again for bearing with this technology. I'm, I'm hoping this is all pieced together. And I hope this is all something that comes together nicely. But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time today. So everyone, that is Jay Williams. As you can tell, he's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. I would challenge you guys to go and check him out on LinkedIn, Instagram. And if you guys want to, He gave you an opportunity to reach out to him personally. So we have a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.